Okay. Wow. Office Hours 24. This is a, a special version, uh, cottage vacation uh, and outdoor lawn uh, version. So thank you for joining me. I thought it was going to be a, a solo episode. I was ready to rant and no, you know, no one was going to watch this, but uh, I was going to air out my frustrations and everything that was going on. Um, but I appreciate that there's people here. We're missing one wonderful person named Fatsal Shah. He is exploring BC. I have not heard anything from him, so I hope he's okay. I, that means he's actually enjoying his time and that's a wonderful thing. So we'll quickly do our, we're trying to calculate this. The, the, the number, this is office hours 24, beautiful. Guys, thanks so much for joining. I'm in a different location. This is not a green screen background. My uh, mom and her partner, We've got a cottage. They call it a camp up here. Actually, it's derogatory if you call it a cottage. Um, and uh, it's first time up here. So very excited to spend some time with family. And uh, and uh, it's been a good couple of days already. So get out of here. There's bugs. That's one thing. Why is, uh, why is cottage derogatory? <laughs> so uh, apparently... Uh, when you get this far up north, so we're sort of near like Sudbear area, like everyone refers it to as a camp. No one wants it to be called a cottage. Um, cottage oh, that brings the tourists. Exactly. Cottage is for the lower Muskoka, you know, wealthy elites. Uh, and this is for the, the, the true hunters, the, the campers. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's it anyways. Um, okay. Quick introduction, Tyler. Up at a cottage. Uh, this is vacation Tyler, but still Tyler. Uh, happy to be here. Um, really just thinking about work from a different location. Uh, and that was some of my topics that I had sort of talking about today if I was going to do a solo episode. But I think we've got some more exciting stuff besides that. So maybe just a quick round of introduction and then we'll, we'll jump into some topics here. Classic. We gotta start raising our, our hands again. Behold, uh, well, digital strategist here at uh, Speak. Uh, thinking of all the ways we can talk about Speak, how we can sell Speak, how we can get people to use Speak. Okay, beautiful. Just for is this just for me, or did Nihal get a little quiet at the end there? Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, oh, you're good right. now. You're back. I think oh, you just got We heard you. We heard you. Just in. Okay, Lauren, go ahead, sir. Sure. I'm Lauren. I am the accountant and finance guy, doing a lot of business stuff, making sure everything's staying afloat here. And uh, yeah, just enjoying the weather. It's got a lot of rain, apparently, but uh, I jump out here with a little pocket of sun. Got the birds in the back. So thanks. Thank you for the ambience, Tim. That's wonderful. Um, um, so I'm a product developer here, and while Vassal is a way I've got everything in my hands, which is scary, and with power comes great responsibility. Um, it's going to be a good good office hours. Everyone is is uh, prepping for weekends, and it seems like we're we're really enjoying the summer, all of us here. Um, um, would love to hear what would you have to say, Tyler, uh, about the topic of of this decentralized workforce or no this is not how would you frame that but um yeah so so basically talking about the idea of just work like working remotely basically working from anywhere no yeah um okay i guess we can start with that that's a good good topic uh just this uh i mean for myself there's the joy of this which is you know my mom she got this place and she worked remotely so i was introduced to remote work from a very young age my mom like probably would say like almost 2001 had got her first job working for an american company and worked remote in her entire life and that was something that i don't think most 
uh, people that the opportunity to grow up with a parent who worked in that way. So I always sort of showed me that that was possible. And then uh, another big catalyst for me, which the catalyst I think for a lot of entrepreneurs was the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, um, which was like, wow, you can make a living and a good living at that working from anywhere in the world. And actually ideally you work from anywhere in the world. Um, that's actually one of the blessings that's possible here. So that's always been a dream of mine. I never knew if it would be in a company format or if I was just gonna be sort of this digital nomad who took, took on contracts and tried to figure it out that way. But I'm grateful to have the opportunity to do it. Also a team that I just have, I think what it comes down to is trust that, um, you know, that everyone is doing their best and cares about what you're doing. And if you have that through a team structure, then it doesn't really matter where you work or when you work. It just matters that you all care about what you're doing and they're doing a good job. Anything? No, it is, it is a marvelous thing. And um, it, uh, maybe the most surprising thing was to get this, this opportunity when, when we, the, um, when I got into Speak AI, we were in the DMZ office downtown Toronto. It was fun. It was a lot of engagement and just social activities going on all the time. And this switch with COVID was um, a little painful in the beginning because it was um, it was right at the um, right before the winter when people realized how bad it is actually to be alone. And in that winter, it's and from that from then on, it's 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 the, the perspective over life really changed for many people. For me, for myself personally too, it's like well, you now have all the time for yourself. You now don't have to uh, conform to essentially the social activities themselves. For example, that really do take time, and it's interesting to see how people got better just friends and family and everyone around you, um, people are calmer. Seeing that some of us just have less stress and it's just so good to have uh, less stressed people around you and just surrounding you. Such a more, yeah, calm environment. It's different though. Like Lauren, Lauren and I, we work together, trying to think how long, Lauren, at least a year in person almost every day. And, you know, I really do miss that. You know, I, I miss the, the energy of being together in person. It makes a big difference. I don't know, Lauren, if anything you have to say, so I unmute. I, I miss just coming into Innovation Works and obviously seeing you and that's on everyone, but just also just anyone in that office space that we shared. Yeah, especially uh, Innovation Works. It was really awesome working there. Just even when you're on your lunch break, you just go and uh, wander around the building. And there's so many nice, helpful people around there. So that sounds like I was really excited about the DMZ too. I was only there for like one or two trips, I think, but so many nice people. It's such a, um, it's kind of the same energy you get when you go to like the gym. Like you can work out at home, but I feel like if you're not really working out at the gym, like around other people you know, working out and improving themselves, it's kind of um, not as helpful. Uh, you kind of need to have the uh, the beehive buzzing in order for you to really uh, get into a good work state. Yeah, and, I mean the D and the, like the innovation was one you know one big part of that, and had these amazing like I would say it was like this lifeblood of like energy and empathy and compassion and care for the world and sustainability. And then there was the, the DMZ, which was like high pace, 
startups accelerating quickly, learning quickly, sharing what they're doing. And I also, it was interesting because, uh, you know, one of the topics I was sort of going to bring up a bit today was some of these conversations with investors and some of the stuff that they had asked. But one of them over and over again is this idea of like, what, was your, what is your go-to-market plan? And I realized like, when I first came to Toronto to the DMZ, I didn't really have one besides the fact that I was going to go into the DMZ and I was going to go to every networking event I possibly could. And because that's is how I had made everything, like that's how I had gotten through everything in life already. It's just like show up, bring yourself, bring your energy, be curious, ask questions, and just thrive and be in the same space as amazing, intelligent people. And life just seems to like project you forward. And so that part I, I do have this sort of longing for in this. Um, and I hope that that, you know, that's why I'm still in, well, I'm not in Toronto right now, but I have this hope for Toronto is that I still think, although people love this remote structure, and I do agree with the peacefulness, like I had my first post-pandemic in-person business meeting the other day. And for 20, I had to drive like 25 minutes and I had to park and then I couldn't find the office, office building entrance. I was like, this is bullshit. Why? You know, I never want to do this again. But then got into the room and there's two people there who are awesome people. And we got to actually sit and look at each other and we were in the office and it was like an amazing conversation. And, you know, I just felt by getting together in person that creates momentum and connection. Uh, and so I do hope there's this balance of inconvenience and things that takes off your focus and takes off it's unnecessary versus the in-person connection that's possible and can create so much momentum um, for you and in your relationships. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some level of balance I find. Maybe it's not going to be like the regular night of Friday, nine to five kind of thing, but I think a lot of people are doing like one, two, three days in that this other week. I think that's good to have, you know, some of this and some of that. There is quite a lot of benefits to it. It's a lot cheaper you can like, take a shower I mean, the whole work yeah i guess uh you know just make food a lot easier at home i suppose but yeah there's definitely something missing out by not uh, working with people around people it's just interesting too i just add one maybe part from my last thing from my perspective on this topic which was like google and some of these bigger companies who are obviously you know very successful but then also have the tools to measure sort of employee engagement and culture and performance and productivity, they started with this idea that they were going to be fully remote. And as the pandemic has sort of, you know, come to towards an end, um, they have, some of them have said, no, we want, you know, at least they've shifted back to this idea of like a hybrid model. Now there's some outliers, like there are uh, companies and even, even Facebook, you know, Zuckerberg said he's going to be away from the office for six months a year and he's letting his employees who are full-time, who have been there, do the same thing. Um, but a lot of companies probably saw some indicators or signals, or at least that they weren't able to create the same culture um, through remote work. And it seems very hard. And some of the events that I've been that are sort of like trying to create culture, even within some of the companies that we work with, not even us, because uh, sort of our culture is through our conversations. And then I would say even office hours, but like it sort of felt like people were like half there were there only because they had to be. So I also felt today, like I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'm going to be doing this alone and it's because office hours aren't as fun as they uh, they seem, but I'm glad that you guys are here. That's nice. Uh, it made me feel special that I saw four people, uh, three people log in um, today. So thank you uh, again for that. And um, I think just in general, we do thrive as people together and as a collective and 
a lot of these companies that put a lot of investment into their spaces and their office and the science behind that of how can you build these connections that build great things. And I think that is still a hard thing to replace fully uh, digital. And that's why even we look at our quarterly sort of get togethers and plannings as something we want to do in person. Okay. Any last thoughts, Nihal? Any thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, I, I guess just, just for us, like, you know, once, when, if things <laughs> things go back to normal, it, it would be interesting to see what, you know, the potential hybrid model looks like for us as well. Uh, and, you know, whether we kind of switch to that or just kind of stick to the full remote, you know, maybe have like co-working sessions, like, I think that would be, it would be interesting. It would be good to get some uh, easier uh, energy to feed off of, right? Like feed off each other. And I feel like it, it'll probably be a lot easier to make certain uh, bigger decisions when it's not maybe like a message thread or. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Even even just that office I went to for that meeting, it was a, such a, it was like a very agency like tall ceiling and it was like ah oh, i just want to work here you know and uh, so uh, i hope to have one day an office that looks like that but uh, that's probably not coming anytime soon so i apologize um <laughs> Nihal, you had a couple topics uh here today is there anyone that sticks out that you really want to to go through on this call uh, I guess maybe we can go with uh number like the third one so how can non-technical team members best contribute to product development uh, and th this was just a something i've been thinking about uh, you know reading different founder stories different startup stories uh when they're a small team and where exactly uh, how things might be segmented within the organization and where does you know, decision making and responsibility fall for certain certain things uh, and I, I guess I, I was just wondering in our case uh, you know we do have certain feedback loops and uh, you know feature requests that we can put in uh, to try help shape the product but you know on our team we have two technical people and then the rest of us are you know for the most part non-technical so it's like where you know where do we see our role within that product development cycle and maybe even you know if, if tim has a viewpoint on this where engineering sees the fit of you know uh marketing or you know just general sales um and admin side how, how does that fit into the whole product ecosystem because for me, it also just kind of fed off this idea when I was looking at, you know, our website or branding and how we try to make everything cohesive. And basically, how do we make, you know, the speak product more than just the app? It's, it's how we speak to people. It's how we uh, communicate through our emails, how we communicate when we're actually you know, helping customers with any issues they might have. And... Yeah, just thoughts about how, you know, non-technical people fit into actually making decisions that that would help the product grow. Because even if it's not 
I feel like the limiting factor for non-technical people is just uh, not understanding where maybe the technical limitations are in requesting a feature or in requesting uh, a change to the app. And yeah, I, I guess thoughts on like where where we as non-technical individuals, team members fit within the product uh, development cycle and how we can make it easier to communicate our our ideas to the engineering team. Yeah, as the sole engineering team member on this call, uh, <laughs> do you have a response before Lauren and uh, non-technical members uh, jump into this topic? It's a valid issue. The seeing small organizations, but doesn't necessarily. It doesn't have to be small. Any agile organization is, is like is having to deal with this. Is having to product managers and have to communicate with all stakeholders. And everybody does have a stake in product marketing. Does sales people do? UX researchers do. Sometimes even accounting. It does. We have to. We have to be in tune with all the right metrics with business, and this is the this equilibrium is is actually quite hard to get to, because you can imagine many. Um, you can imagine that there could be. A, um, that a product manager could just walk around and gather requirements. What would you like? What would you want? What would you want to see in the app? And, and this becomes, it's just a factory. It's not strategic. And this is where the word strategy comes in is where it is important to set the priority and the value and ask the right questions to every each party, technical or not, because product is not, it's built by engineers, indeed. It's designed by designers, but it's formed and molded into something that's supposed to uphold a product value exchange with end customers and everyone on the team has a necessary influence on this because obviously everyone has their own personal professional perspectives as well. But that true collaboration is, as Tyler, you just mentioned, really about melding brains, having that connection, having this ideas pop up in the air. And ideas are, you know, solutions are one thing, of course. Everyone has solutions and it's normal because that's how our brains work. But when you do think a little laterally from those solutions, it's, it's interesting to have the shared perspective, but also shared learning from 
exchanging these perspectives to each other on the meetings and one-on-ones and um, these moments produce this shared learning and doesn't matter where, whether you're technical or not, it's important that you speak up in your organization and here at SpeakEI too. And I hope we do. And as I'm seeing, Michal, you're utmost helpful. Um, and Lauren, great questions too. It, 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 all of this really creates this shared understanding of the product, if that answers the question. Thank you, Tim. Um, yeah, Papa Lauren's questions are usually, why are we doing this? <laughs> Which are always great qualifiers of anything. And I think there's a couple things that stick out for, for me here, which is, you know, Michal talks about, you know, this idea of like sort of non being non-technical, but I mean, Michal, you're a talented technical marketer from even like an SEO perspective or how you can filter through data to reveal insights that are actually really valuable for product development and understanding what we should be prioritizing. And that's something that, I mean, I'm sure Tim and Vatsal could figure out, but it's not their specialty. And, uh, you know, so there's a huge value add to anyone who can, who can play a role in that and then bring that knowledge or sort of take all that data and actually present something useful out of it. And, um, and I would say even some of the work that you've done, which we talked about in the last call, which is like build something like the alternatives page and then start to source queries about what's not working for competitors or alternatives helps us then figure out where we can di differentiate. And, um, you know, that the part is interesting. Like I've, I built a lot of websites before I started this. And then I've also gotten, now that I'm working on speak long enough uh, and then working with Vatso long enough, it's like you start to realize when your queries or what you're saying is a lot bigger ask than you think or like not, you know what I mean? Like at the start, you would have this sort of technical gap that makes everything just like, oh, let's do this. And you don't think about the architecture of the system or that, you know, like there's so many things that are not thought about when you're a non-technical or when you're not a developer. And it's, 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 you know, there's no question. There's no, you know, it, it's amazing that really like developers today are these, you know, magicians of the world that have so much value that you just, I, I felt even this last couple of days, I mean, Tim has stepped up and played an enormous role, but it's like felt almost useless sometimes with queries um, coming from some of our customers. It's like, I can do nothing. You know what I mean? I'm just here. I feel like I have no arms or something. <laughs> I don't even know, you know? Uh, and, and so I like the way that Batso approaches it, which is this idea of like, let's take our five ideas and throw them and, and, you know, we'll put them into our list of what, you know, what we want to build and we'll filter through and we'll agree on those. Now, what's interesting is I think that in the end, Vatsal and Timothy have the most say in some regards, which is if they don't want to build it, then it's not going to get built, you know, like, and then there's the other thing to consider, which is there's the original vision that you have for what you want to build. So also if we're filtering things in that are coming from customers, do we choose to build those because our customers are saying them? Do we choose to build them because they fit into our original vision or do we actually not build them because they don't fit that vision or what we want our product to be? And I think that's something that we come keep bumping up into, which is like, you know, the other day I had a conversation with a lawyer and he's like, can it do this and this and that? And if so, it can do X, Y, blah. And it's like, 
all of those things could happen, but do you choose to do that? Or do you, uh, you know, is that really the market that we want to work? Is that really the ideal customer? And um, even as I've gotten deeper into conversations with some of these investors, I think that's been the question because they look at it through the lens of like, of course you have limitations of cash flow today, but if you were to take on investment and really you were hit milestones, you would never run out of capital. So it's actually up to you to choose what you want your customers to be and what you truly want to do. Um, and so it's even depending on where you are in the world, what level of your career you're in, what company stage you're in, it changes how you even approach product development, the communication that happens, and then you validate how you validate and decide what you want to build or what you don't want to build. And I think just one last part, Neil, is like for us, what we get to do better and or more of is talk to customers or communicate to customers or get marketing data that helps us understand what to prioritize. But then I think our role is not just, okay, is this great that someone's asked for this, but are they willing to pay for it? Like that's what Leon really was a big sort of driver of, which was like, okay, great that there's someone who likes it. But if you were to then build it for them in two months later and say, hey, oh, hey, I've built this for you. Are you excited, ready? It's going to be 99 bucks a month. And they say, oh, uh, no. Then we just spent two months building something that was not validated at all. So it's like the willingness to pay is, is our responsibility and a requirement from us before we go back to the technical members of the team and say, hey, let's build this. Yeah, it depends on like how big of a problem it is too, like how often they have to uh, deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis. So if it's really just every so often they'll have, uh, they'll have a need for it. Um, and that kind of gears towards um, what you should be focusing on. Um, as far as like Nihal's questions goes, I think we've kind of answered it already. It's mostly just a matter of having proper communication between customers and uh, developers, making sure that uh, everybody's clear and understanding of each other. Um, one thing I've always found that I was like the most helpful for the technical side was just doing uh, bug reporting, bug testing, actually like figuring out um, if there's any like mistakes there. So that's where it's really good to have a like, good uh, attention to detail. And uh, just like a vision of like what you expect to happen. And then if it doesn't meet those expectations then you can kind of talk about it. But um, there's a lot of things that you could like bring up of like how it could be better. Uh, I think that Thoughts has been mostly focused on like what's broken, like what is not working and should be working. But there's also a lot of, there's plenty of room for improvement, I think. Um, but it's again, it's just a matter of, you know, improvement for who. Like I, it's like my own opinion of how you can improve it, but I guess you kind of have to listen to the customers, people who use it the most often. Because I'll pump in every, uh, every time there's like an update and check to see if it's still holding steady. But, uh, and it's kind of more, you gotta have to listen more to the customers too, because it's more like I'm just, I'm just using it to test it. I really need a lot of uh, transcript and accounting. Um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, just a matter of having good communication with everybody. Um, that's about it. Yeah. All right, okay. I'll just add one thing that stuck out to me this week was like I shared that video of like sort of the animate your speech uh, concept. And I had like multiple people say, hey, this is awesome. Like, can I try it? I'm like, no, first of all, it's not even close to being something that's in production. But it's like, if you truly want to see this come to life, would you help us by giving us $15.99 a month to validate that this is something you really want to come to life? And if not, then I guess it's not that cool. 
You know what I mean? Or again, maybe it's cool, but it doesn't solve any problems for you in your life. And uh, that's been a something, uh, you know, a big shift uh, of, of life, you know, even for me as a company owner who, you know, started out young in his career and just wanted to build things that are cool and then also gets further along and wants to invest and wants to hire a better team, wants to take care of the people on the team. And, you know, those, your priorities change in life. And with that also, your understanding of like how you want to build a company or what you need to build a company around changes. Sometimes it's not always the coolest thing is the answer. Uh, it's that we solved a real problem for you and that problem has immense value for you. And so you're willing to exchange, um, you know, money, money for that to make that happen. And I think there was even for me, a, you know, I think about this sometimes with the investor conversations that are happening too, but like a sort of skepticism of, of that or like this value exchange of money but people who seem like pure capitalists or true capitalists in a, like an honorable way talk about like if people are willing to pay you for something then you've actually created true value and i think if you can get your frame around you know that perspective then it's a very helpful one whether you're building a company or if you're trying to talk to investors um too so Michal, did we answer your question <laughs> uh, do you feel any anything else you want to add to that uh no, I mean, I think there were quite a few good things talked about there because it, it, it kind of feeds into you know, one of the other points uh, I had was just, you know, when does, I guess, like, I mean, this might be something we need to have that here to discuss properly, but essentially, when does the shift from building your core, like just, just the, the guts of your product, when does that end? And when does improving outputs or just quality of life uh, changes? When does the focus shift to something like that? Right. And obviously you never stop working on the, what makes your system your system, but at what point do we shift the focus from, uh, you know, keep, keep improving this core product without actually addressing, um, larger or even pain points that don't exist yet for customers. Um, and yeah, you, you know, like listening to customers is obviously the number one way we, we figure that out. Like if it's a large enough pain point where people are willing to, to pay us or at least invest that time to like exchange, you know, a conversation, book a demo, whatever it is, um, the, that's, that's validation in a way. Uh, but then yeah, once again, don't know the technical technical uh, limitations just yet, but it, it would be good to understand at some point when, you know, uh, build, building a, you know, for, for instance, building better user experience takes priority over building uh, a new feature, let's say. And, and I'm not quite sure when that flipped or when that addition, right? Like we plug it into the, the, the main engine, when does that happen? Very interesting question, but I would, I would also argue that you asked too, um, the last one, whether, what, when are we going to prioritize feature over a piece of UX is one question. The other is the very first one. Are we building the core product 
or are we iterating on something that that exists? Well, it's it's the very same thing. I, I would argue that I'd argue that you're always trying to build core product because that's what's so like that's there's nothing to choose from. You're either building the right thing or the wrong thing, but you do not know. Subjectively, it's the right thing. So, um, but the second question is, is um, it's not as technical, it wouldn't it be? Tyler, would, from the business viability perspective, that would be more, um, more valid answer perhaps to when do we prioritize um, a feature and when do we prioritize to iterate on something that does exist? Yeah, I think, um, you know, to me, there's always this idea of like, like we've talked about it a lot lately, which is like acquisition, activation, and then retention, right? And, uh, you know, say there's like, when I look at, okay, maybe we don't build any more onto the core functionality of the system, but you build something like, uh, and again, a little too late, but like a Zoom marketplace integration, which then allows people to sync our system with Zoom and opens up a whole new customer channel. But then it starts to, okay, great. Now we've opened up a whole new customer acquisition channel, but the user experience is poor. So we're just churning out users and it's actually unprofitable at that point, or it's creating such a bad reputation of our company that, you know, okay, let's stop building another integration or another addition. And we really need to focus on like what are causing the problems here right now that are making all these customers who are signing up with hope and optimism just to leave immediately because the user experience isn't good enough or the transcript isn't good enough or the insights are useless or you know whatever that that piece is and i think i think our team is good at realizing in the moment i don't think we're maybe as good at predicting yet but i also don't think in the stage that we're at it's very easy to predict uh, these you know these kind of things it's not really like and just for an example like that's when i talk about it all the time like in a different world we would have prioritized as soon as zoom came out and the pandemic started we probably should have built a zoom integration and then just we could have had a whole pipeline built off that that would have changed our whole product and figured out that user experience in a different way so like I think, you know, Nihal, one thing that you've talked about is just like, how can we build little widgets on our site that help with the acquisition part? So there's that piece. But then again, once we get them to use that widget, are they going to retain in the product or are they going to become a customer for us? So it's depending on the performance of our own engine, our own application, our own marketing channels that we figure out what place we need to prioritize in that moment. And if ideally we'd have a team capacity to do all at once, but we don't. Uh, so uh, those are hard decisions that you're making and you're always sacrificing one over the other in, in some ways. Because to that point, I, I think there is value obviously in the acquisition and conversion front where you know, that, that's a large part of my job, for instance. But then when it comes to, you know, but I, I think especially nowadays when it comes to being a communicator or a marketer um, or, or just part of a growth team within, within any product, um, even issues related to retention should fall onto your plate right? and should be things you care about. Right? It, it, it's not like my, my job ends up, oh, well, I got someone to sign up for the app. <laughs> See ya. Right? Like a, a part of my role now at should also be to help 
the technical team figure out where they can actually, uh, you know, how to hold on to these customers and what does that look like? And like you said, and I mean, it kind of feeds into another point, right? How do we um, build a good user experience, a good front end experience, um, while also continuing development of the core tech with the limited team, right? And so like, like you said, their sacrifices and prioritization that needs to be done. Uh, and, and I guess just, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we have the capacity to add um, some some human power to the, these these facets of our, our, our product that aren't getting as much love as they maybe need at this moment in time. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, supercharges a lot of our, our efforts at the end of the day. There's a lot of uh, customer success that comes in after you've uh, made the sale. And we kind of do that already with um, uh, all of our like more larger enterprise sales anyway. So we're actually you know, communicating and working with them. Um, I think just a matter of being successful with customer success is knowing the problem, uh, like before you even sell to them. And then once you sold to them, you're like checking in to see like, how is that problem going? Have you solved it? Are you not using the uh, product? properly um and like how can i what can i do to help to either educate you or develop the uh the product into what it needs to be to meet that problem you have this is maybe uh an entrance into a more specific question as, as to you have these kpis and objective way to measure the success of a particular um of anything that you've spent time on really and then you have other priorities in the world. And it's, it's, it's as to, there is one way of building a product essentially by setting these success metrics, achieving them or not, but learning from it. That's sort of the build fast and learn, but set priorities, build fast and learn the three-step process. Um, yeah, and it does nicely circle back into, well, how do you, what is the key, what, what is the measure of success? What, 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 we, we do have North Star metric, like upload, X uploads of media. And we have other metrics too from, from, from different departments even. Uh, but should priority be lie in there? Like, I can promise you to, you know, the, 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 the hypothesis that this particular idea such as marketing campaign can produce 10% more acquisitions next month, or let's say 20. And piece of a feature in the product can, can well, you can prioritize one over another in this case, but Sometimes it happens that one hypothesis, there are a couple of hypotheses in the same, in the product, for example, or there are two hypotheses in marketing and, and do you prioritize over what would be the output if it does succeed? Sort of this, uh, this question is, is better answered with ICE scores. It's better answered with this, the, the frameworks of impact and, um, and I would say, okay, you know, from, from here, it's, it's, it's evident that OKRs were utmost useful 
in figuring out what are the um, most impactful things, and therefore they are to be prioritized. But it's also evident that, that you can't plan everything ahead. We on the product side had like 10 launches this quarter outside of anything that we planned. And it's, um, it, it does say to the emergency, to the emergent quality of, of some of the hypothesis that you must test, like the Zoom integration. Um, could we, what, what, what could we do better this quarter? Would be my question. You ask it, okay. Um, yeah. Well, just a couple of things that have stuck out to me lately um, is, first of all, I love you guys. Uh, you know, this is why I, I uh, you know, hard even on vacation to leave work because I just, these conversations I enjoy so much. I learn so much. Uh, it's really, I look forward to these every Friday. Um, like one of the things that stuck out to me because I've, you know, been, it's weird, right? You're, you're talking to customers on a daily basis, but now, you know, I've spent a lot more time talking to investors. And, um, one thing that stuck out to me, and I sent that email to, I think every, not an email, but the questions that were asked, which were like, <laughs> I put up some traction points and they were great. And I was like, you know, MRR, here's your monthly. And she's like, okay, but what about your, what about your annual recurring revenue? Uh, I didn't care about MRR at all. Uh, what about, um, oh, great, about X, but what about your customer acquisition cost? Um, or, you know, if you're, and then if your ARR is not high enough, okay, well then let's look at usage patterns or usage time in the app, weekly active users or daily active users. Uh, like it's, I've realized all these different patterns or approaches that investors are taking up looking at early stage companies to figure out if there are positive signals there or not. It's really, really interesting. And even one that stuck out to me the other day, Nihal said, what was on Drift, is like, what is our customer response time uh, on a live chat? You know, and that doesn't seem like, you know, maybe a huge one right now, but it's like, that matters, you know, especially when you have important app people, uh, important people sign up on the app and you don't respond to them for two hours. Uh, they could be gone forever, or you know, that's a they're reporting back to a decision maker who they now have a given a bad word to, and that decision is no longer made. Um, so, like, it's just I've learned a lot from these conversations. I think in a very positive manner. One thing I would like to think about: we've talked about this idea of North Star being like the amount of media uploads, and it seems within the next few months some of the let the work that we've done to prioritize that is now starting to kick in where we have like one that's it looks like it's going to go to which is like almost four thousand hours and another one where there's you know at least 200 hours per month so those metrics are being accomplished the one that is sticking out to me that people keep asking about is the annual recurring revenue which is like it makes so much sense in an early stage which is what is the biggest problem for most businesses is cash flow and if you can build something that's valuable enough that people sign up for a year and they pay in advance, then you have the cash to then invest in them and you can prioritize them too. So we've had several annual contracts be generated in the last couple of weeks. Um, some are odd, to be honest, but that's great. Uh, we can figure that out. Uh, and then some are not odd, but I just, you know, as we look into the next quarter, I'm wondering, I don't know exactly. It's still raw in my mind. It's just that that question has emerged so many times and it makes so much sense from a business perspective that, you know, maybe that is something we should look at prioritizing and wrapping 
some of our OKRs or our, our, how we're looking at things um, over the next three months. Um, I just had one last quickly thing. Like there's a company called Pipe down in the US right now, which is like, honestly, it's like revolutionizing startups because if you get um, monthly recurring revenue, you can go to Pipe and they will pay your monthly recurring revenue for up to a year. Like people will bid basically. So you're getting your cash, you're getting your, your MRR funded up front for obviously there's a cost to it, but it's like not that bad. And they're sort of changing the way like venture capital done or it's like capital and early startups is done. So like, but Pipe is not available in Canada right now. So MRR would be an amazing thing if you could fund cash flows through something like that. But in our case, how could we adjust this to making something so compelling from an annual recurring, from an annual plan that people sign up for that over the monthly recurring and then we can invest with them in a product knowing that they're gonna be there for the next year. That's, that's something really exciting I thought to, to think about. Yeah, I actually hate that pipe thing. That's just, that doesn't make any sense. It's just some sort of made up you know, financial instrument. And it's fairly new too. And whenever I see like some sort of, you know, hackneyed and pulled together financial instrument and you get people signing contracts, I'm just having nightmares of 2008 and all that, uh, <laughs> and all the CEOs and all that stuff. So I don't know. I don't, uh, um, I a, lot wipers, a, lot of, a lot of vipers just making up whatever thing and then making people sign away. They have no clue what they're signing away to because it's just like there's no history behind it too like you don't know what's gonna really be the outcome of this you don't know if it's really gonna work out but uh yeah if you ever want to uh if you ever want to sell your soul um just make up random contracts i'm sure someone will buy it you know what Ron? i like hearing the hot take from you i uh, have not researched it well enough i just know that it's being you know well very well adopted and you know has some big investments doesn't mean that's like, like as you're saying doesn't mean that that's a good thing but it's interesting of them talking about you know we're looking at sort of different kinds of asset classes like you know obviously like people talking about digital currency and cryptocurrency but they're saying like monthly recurring revenue is one of the most valuable assets that you can have and and people are willing to buy into that so anyways i'm not smart enough to talk about that stuff but it's interesting to hear your perspective on it as somebody who looks more into that um i guess just to help me think about think through this and as we are starting to look into prioritization like one thing that i just noticed like two of the one of the people who is signing up for the the, the annual recurring plan is like they wanted the minutes up front which was interesting because in the monthly recurring, you are obviously only getting like the, you know, 600 per month or whatever. They wanted all the minutes up front. So that was one of the triggers that made them want to sign up. Um, they know that we're investing more into things like redaction or, you know, like there's things that we can help with their, their workflow that's going to make it more value. But I'm just wondering from even from a marketing or messaging perspective, or if it's a percentage, like you don't want to go too deep on a percentage discount on an annual plan or wherever you figure this out. But just, again, just something that's really sticking out to me and it would give us all a lot more confidence or like uh, unnervousness if we had a bunch of people signing up for a year and then knowing that we're going to invest that time with them. So maybe we'd just love to double tap on that for a sec here if you guys have any perspective and then we can wrap up uh, the call unless anyone else has anything burning uh, before, we, uh, before we close out. Yeah, it depends on like which problems are most um, all-encompassing or like more found between different customers, I guess, because Sure, like they've uh, they paid for the annual fee, but um, 
Did you lose Lauren? Is it just me? Lost Lauren. Ah, it looks like he was about to go into something beautiful too. Uh, I, I, I thought it was me for a second. Uh, I hope he comes back. I feel like at any second he's going to come back talking still, um, or just sitting in silence. <laughs> um, he's got a good screenshot of him here, though. He looks handsome, so that's that that helps. Um, okay. Well, I don't know what I guess. Nihal, do you, <laughs> any thoughts on the ARR part as someone who's responsible for marketing and messaging? Hey, Lauren, you're back. I'm sorry, we lost you. We lost you for a minute, buddy. You looked like you were going into something important. Okay. Where did I where did I cut off that? Uh, all encompassing. Oh, okay. I was like the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, I figured. Um, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of looking at um, you know which problems that are you know one that we're able to do with our skill set that we're willing to do that we uh, enjoy ourselves and um, and whether or not that's you know top priority for multiple people that are willing to pay. Uh, especially when it comes to like annual too, because they're kind of in it for the long haul, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. It's not fun to have a customer. I mean, not that you don't like your customers, but from an agency perspective, I haven't had difficult relationships in the past. And if you've now just signed up for a year relationship, building things that are actually taking you in a contradictory path of where you would ideally like to end up can be a difficult thing. <laughs> Um, so there are some considerations of like what happens in that moment where it's like, I want to sign up for an annual license or even a monthly recurring license, but like they don't be, they're not your ideal customer. Like this is still something I struggle with. It's like, if you see our system as valuable already, and then with the, some small adjustments, or even if it's valuable enough already, but you don't fit this little percentage of you know or this little sort of customer persona that we've you know drawn out on a nice piece of paper do you say, you don't do you say no do you say okay go ahead but this product isn't made specifically for you do we risk things by doing that and then again i guess the same idea from a monthly perspective or then also from that year perspective where someone signs up for a year and it's like our, our product isn't going in a direction that you believe it is um i guess just some things to, to consider Neil, any thoughts? We looked a little bit at AppSumo about the deals that they're doing. Like, you know, not that, that we know that that's the path that we want to go down to, because there is definitely some things to think about in that regard. But you look at, you know, the, the why people will, you know, from a relatively, because the other thing is being in a relatively, for example, like we're definitely not a Amazon or, or, or like a, a well-tested, well-battled brand that people know. So there's a risk that people are or people are taking when they sign up for a monthly plan, let alone a yearly plan. Uh, so how do you de-risk that? Yeah, that's something that I also think about too. How do they even know if you're a startup that you're going to be around in a year <laughs> to service um, to service the needs that they have? I feel like to a degree, something like that comes down to customer experience. So customer service plus how we um, focus our messaging around what it is we do, how, you know, how these funds work. Like, you know, if someone gives us a thousand dollars a year, um, do we, you know, turn that into a community building aspect where it's like they become more than just a customer, right? And now you are, you know, to rebuild a community around like 10,000 early adopters of speed, right? And 
does that become a special program where you know the first ten thousand people sign up for an annual subscription, uh, whether that's personal or uh, business subscription, are you now basically a lifetime member of the speed? Like you know, from now till the end of time, you can use our system to transcribe media, right? Uh, and I, I think it allows us to think of innovative ways to bulk up that ARR because clearly that's what investors care about uh, versus the MRR, because I guess the MRR is a bit too variable for their liking, uh, while the ARR gives us a more solid uh, idea of where our cash flow sits, at least for that year. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it would be interesting to reframe, you know, uh, our model like i guess how we market how we talk about our product around yearly plans and you know maybe there's a way we make yearly our yearly subscriptions more valuable maybe maybe there's value adds we can we can put on there you know you get to be part of the roadmap you get to build out this product with us uh right and, and things that enable us once again because now we'll have all this initial cash flow it lets us almost build a more um more valid ecosystem for early adopters and users because yeah it, it's tough like you said to put, put your you know your money behind startups or put your money behind products that might not seem as battle tested to some of the bigger bigger names uh, and you see that through review sites right who, 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 more than likely no one's looking past like review number three right they look at the top three and they'll test those top three and then they're gone Right, they picked one of those. Uh, so, how how do you move beyond that to basically be like, you know, take a chance on this, right? And we'll build something that will blow your minds, essentially. And and how do we how do we message that properly? And especially in a, a space that some people are used to paying per minute, exactly. you know what I mean, on a yeah. whenever they want, or the opposite of not per minute. You know, it is the same per minute, but like democratized rev happy scribe things like that or at a bigger level like amazon speech to text you know trans like these systems where you're literally getting billed by usage um you know and some of these numbers are very low so there's also it comes back to us having to differentiate and understand truly where we're providing value and offering solutions that are different outside of the systems that we're already seeing and i think just you know lastly for me i just one, one thing that I still struggle with, you know, and, you know, we've talked about this lots here is like even talking to investors, like to me, a lot of things seem obvious, you know, I, I guess obviously obvious, which is like, you know, uh, someone who has a large media library and is trying to find, you know, gold, find gold in that media library or, or, or analyze it or repurpose it in different ways. Like I, I can see how clear, you know, our system today or the system that we have hoped to be is relevant but sometimes when i'm explaining that to people like i've seen the, the look or the fear in someone's eyes when they've heard that one of our bigger customers works in digital therapeutics and then another one is uh an events company that has a large media library of recordings versus a market research firm you know what i mean and i can see the fear or like i can feel like the you know, the non-comprehension. And I guess, you know, from an ideal is we can always continue to simplify the messaging, simplify the messaging to our customers, but then also simplify the messaging to our investors. And just to me, ARR as a metric 
is sort of an undeniable one. You know what I mean? In a way, it's like, okay, great. I don't fully understand what you guys are doing, but if all these companies are willing to invest in you, even if they seem slightly different or in different industries or use cases, you've obviously figured something out and something that I don't know. And that's valuable because investors, one thing I've also understood is they want to learn. There's nothing better in that conversation when they walk away learning a new thing. And, um, and if we can present that even, then that's an exciting place to be in uh, as a company. So um, I have lots more on the lessons that I've learned from talking to investors today. I don't have time for that. Otherwise, I'll, that was my monologue today that was going to be. <laughs> uh, that can be left for another time. But I appreciate you guys spending me an hour on a beautiful Friday here after Canada Day. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we close this out? Make us weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enjoy well, the outdoors. Yeah, Tim, Tim, Tim's having a, a great little holiday here tomorrow. I'm very excited for him. And again, I'm just very thankful. I, I, uh, I'm thankful that you guys came and spent some time with me here at the uh, Fitness. It that means a lot. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> Tim, you're good, buddy. Okay. All right. Everyone who watched this, tuned in, listened to it, read it, whatever medium this ends up on. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone and hope you have a good rest of your day. Bye.